From McMinnville, Oregon, this is Crisscrossing Science, the podcast that enjoys lazy afternoons in the lab. I'm Michael Crosser. Of course, you know Chad Tilburg, and today's title is Lasers. Pew, 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 pew. More than just a cat toy. Hey, Chad. I feel like we need to drink a water after making that laser noise. We really had to <clears throat> practice that more, I think, but that's okay. Should have done some vocal warm-ups. <laughs> So yeah, we so, we actually so. had a listener question. Mm-hmm. Avid listener Gabby asks, how do lasers work? It was short and to the point, but yes. Yeah, you have like a little pen-shaped apparatus with a button on the side and you push said button and boom, out comes a laser. That's how it works. So thank right, you nice for talking. writing in. Yeah. By the way, if anybody else would like this type of in-depth discussion on a topic of their choice, email us at crisscrossingside.gml.com. All one word, all lowercase. So that, or, that, or you actually, know what? We could go into more depth than that if if you would be willing. We could belabor the point, I suppose. <laughs> Let's do it. No, I don't I don't know anything about where lasers come from other than they're light and they are just like a very specific wavelength. But yeah, other than that, hit me with it. I don't know. I'll be learning something here too. Well, so lasers are used through surprisingly lots of different places in our modern day life. You can use them for medical purposes. For instance, I had LASIK done a few years ago. And they they burn my eyeballs to make them shape better. Okay. You can also cut away moles and it's a useful tool for that. I feel like I've seen like a, a laser cauterizer. Does that sound like a surgical tool? Yeah. Like it, it both sort of cuts and cauterizes at the same time. Yeah. Okay. The same thing that a lightsaber right. would do, by the way. Okay. Are we working up to a lightsaber? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I was just, I had this conversation with somebody that Darth Maul from episode one, Uh his entire bottom half was cut off, but he survived somehow, apparently. What? Yeah, I didn't know that either. But not only did it sever him in half, but it also cauterized. So he didn't bleed out from it. Okay. Anyway. This is really stretching my credulity. Okay, so cauterizing, that's one thing. So it can cauterize. It can also be used for like welding and cutting non-flesh related items. Like metal and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So these are very high powered lasers that are injecting a bunch of energy and heat into one very specific location. They can be used for barcode scanning, like at the grocery Uh store and stuff like that. You know, when they checking the prices on things. Yeah. DVDs and CDs, they use lasers as well. The way they work, it's it's actually surprisingly simple. There's a lot of little divots along the disc. And so you're just bouncing a laser off of the disc. If you're on the flat portion of it, the laser light bounces off and you detect a light, a signal. And if you get to a place where there's a hole, the light goes in there and bounces someplace else. So then mm-hmm. you get a zero. So like computer, you know, zeros and ones, basically, you can have information distributed that way. Okay. And it can also be used for measuring distances very precisely using something called LIDAR. Basically, you can measure the speed. The speed of light is constant. What is the speed of light again? Oh, thank you for asking. It's 2.99792458 times 10 to the eighth meters per second. And you can ask any of my students and they should be able to rattle that off for you. (laughs) But basically, if you send out a pulse and measure how long it takes to come back to you, you know exactly how far away something is. For decades now, NASA has been measuring where the moon is because on one of the Apollo missions, they put a reflector on the moon so that you can shoot lasers at it and measure how far away it is. Police will sometimes use LIDAR to measure how fast you're going. I always thought those were accomplished by radio waves. So they have laser ones now. Is that what you're saying? There are two technologies. They'll use a radar gun, but they can also use LIDAR for that. So how that seems like it would take a really incredibly sensitive detector to be able to 
something moving that fast, what yep. what's the scale of difference in size that it can detect? Like, a, can it detect down to the centimeters to millimeters? Those seem very small. I've heard of LIDAR in using like a plane flies over a forest canopy or something like that mm-hmm. and uses LIDAR to uh, reconstruct the structure of the canopy trees. Mm-hmm. And, and so I understand that it can work on the sort of like meter scale. Yep. But even then, something that's traveling 2.99 something something per second. Yep. Yeah, the the difference of it bouncing off something that is an additional meter away, and then coming back to the detector seems like such a small amount of time that the detector must be really, really sensitive to be able to pick that up. Are we going to talk about how that works? Or am I just going down a blind alley here? We're going down a bit of an alley, but well, okay, so I find it interesting that the same basic phenomena can be used for everything from attaching two pieces of metal, which implies a really high temperature, a lot of energy, Mm -hmm. as well as scanning the barcode on like a a package of groceries. Yeah. And so there must be something very different about those two. Like, why is the barcode scanner not setting everything on fire? Yes. Catching on fire. (laughs) (laughs) The groceries. Is there a knob in there that if you forget to turn it down in the morning, yeah, you, know, you accidentally, the first yeah. time it just bursts into flames. That's why you always hear about grocery store accidents. Right. Always catching on fire and stuff. Yeah. Right. So it's really just a question of the power. So it really is just that simple that the more powerful lasers, they have to really pump a lot of energy in there. So are, are we talking a matter of what, though? The frequency, the amplitude? I mean, what? Amplitude. More photons? More photons, yeah. Okay. More photons. All right. And also a lot of the ones that are burning and cauterizing and so forth are pulsed lasers. And we won't get into all the details of the differences there, but it's a little bit easier to sort of, instead of having a continuous stream of light, if you have just a a little pulse of it, you're kind of packing it all into a smaller bit. And so then... Oh, and so therefore, is it easier to have the smaller bit higher amplitude because you're, I got it. Okay. Yeah. But so let's get into other properties of lasers then. So Mm -hmm. generally the reason we have lasers, the reason that they're useful for a lot of these purposes is that they are a very narrow spectrum of color, much more so than any other light source that we have. We had a recent episode recent-ish about light in general, like how do we produce light overall? Oh, we talked about like, yeah, diode, LED lights. Yeah, okay. It was called Building a Better Light Bulb, I think was that episode. Wow. Leave that in if I'm right. But so like light bulbs are, let's call it white light. I mean, it's broadly putting out a whole lot of different colors of light, putting out reds and blues and greens and yellows and violets and Roy G. Biv, the entire thing, right? Mm -hmm. But even, you know, if I had a red LED, like on my electronics to the power button has an LED on it, right? Mm -hmm. Even that, even though it, it looks just red, it's a lot of different shades of red coming out of that. It's not just like one color that's coming out. Okay. So having one frequency has a lot of very useful things. In particular, it means that the light is what's called coherent. Mm, Okay, I don't know what that means. Okay, well, so I was thinking about this. So have you seen those videos where, like TikTok videos or something, where one person is, there's some music playing and this person is just kind of banging their head and then they turn the camera and you see that they're sitting next to like five other people and everybody's banging their head at the same time. Hey, I, I mean, I can imagine. You need to get TikTok. That's all I'm saying. I'm just trying to connect with the youths in our audience. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So if everybody is banging their head at the same time, then they're in phase, right? They're, they are coherent with each other. They're all doing this together. And so that's what 
light is trying to do as well. If light is coherent, all the photons of light are effectively banging their head at the same rhythm. And so by is the banging of the head in rhythm, is that like the frequency of the photon? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. But so they, if it's coherent, they can continue doing this even long, long distances of traveling. Oh, I see. And so you're distinguishing, so that like prevents it from shifting or something like doing a red or a blue shift. Is that? Well, so I'm not talking about frequency right now. I'm talking about, so if they have the same frequency, then all the photons are bopping their head at the same rate. But imagine some of the heads are bopping on the downbeat and some are bopping on the upbeat, right? So in the same amount of time, they're bopping their head the same number of times. But if they're incoherent, they're not all bopping simultaneously. They're they're doing it at different random times. Okay, but, but this property of coherence keeps the light together kind of in the same relative position to each other yeah. as they travel through space. Yeah. And so okay. that makes it actually very intense light because if they're all bopping at the same time, then they're all going to hit the same surface at the same time. Whereas if they're randomly bopping their heads, then on average, it will be a weaker signal because some of them won't be bopping correctly when they reach a material. So it's more energetic. You're actually delivering more energy with them both being in phase than if, if they're crossing each other a little bit. Okay. And so that's why lasers can be used to cut things and burn things. Okay. Also, these photons are all traveling mostly parallel to each other. You can tell this with like, if I had a flashlight and I'm close to a wall, it's a small spot. But if I walk right. to the other side of the room, it's you, you don't even see a, a single spot anymore. You're kind of illuminating a lot of different things. But with if I had a laser and I measured the spot on the wall from the laser, if I'm really close to the wall, and then I move it to the other side of the room, it should still be the same size spot. It's not going to get too much bigger. Yeah, I've noticed that before, and I've always wondered about that. I've always wondered if it's just a function of the lens in the flashlight, as you mentioned, but then is it the lens at the tip of my laser pointer that keeps the beam all focused? But what you're saying is that that really narrow focus is just a fundamental property of the laser itself. Yeah. And, and later on, remind me, we will talk about why it is that, that they're all parallel. Okay. It, yeah. It is a fundamental part of the laser itself. And we'll get to that. Okay. So let's start getting into how lasers actually work by talking about how atoms work. Because atoms interact with light in discrete packets. Uh, I've already said photon before, but basically when we're talking about how atoms and light interact, it's only like a single little packet of light that is interacting at any given time with, say, a single electron, right? The electron doesn't care that it's a uniform bit of light. It will just grab out this one little packet of light, which we call a photon. So it, it behaves like a single particle. And when it's doing that, let's use something called the Bohr model of the atom to talk about how things work. So, Chad, can you describe what is the structure of an atom? What's going on there? Well, my understanding is that an atom contains protons and neutrons in the middle, the nucleus, and those mm -hmm. are tightly packed together. And that gives it most of its mass, as well as identifies what element it is. And then orbiting around that nucleus is where you find the electrons. And if you look at like old chemistry textbooks and stuff like that, there's sort of like this picture of electrons orbiting around the nucleus, sort of like as planets orbiting around the sun. Mm -hmm. But I know it's more complicated than that. And, and the shapes of the orbitals are not quite like that. But I, I guess that's the general idea is you've got this cloud of electrons somewhere in space mm -hmm. outside of the nucleus. Yeah, they have what we call shells. Yeah, I've heard of that. Really yeah. talking about how much energy they have. 
And so they could be in the ground state where they have the lowest energy available, but then they could get excited and jump out to a different orbit or a different shell if it somehow gets some energy to do so. And it'll hang out there for a little bit, then it'll jump back down to the lowest energy level. And, and basically, electrons can jump from one orbit to another if they're given exactly the right amount of energy to make that jump. And so okay. if they jump up to one, they have to absorb the right amount of energy. And if they jump back down, they have to get rid of that energy in some way. Okay. And so if we're talking specifically about how they're interacting with light, that gives us two common interactions. So the first one would be like, let's say I, I get it excited somehow. So it's jumped up to a higher energy level. When it jumps back down, it oftentimes it will spit that out through emitting a photon of light. Okay. And okay. so this is well, how... Hang on, hang on. Let, me, let me hit pause here for just a second. When you say that it emits a photon of light, in your physics brain, do I understand correctly that you mean something more than just the visible spectrum? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Because what I'm thinking of is like a molecule of carbon dioxide absorbing infrared, which is not a wavelength we can see. Right and then re-emitting infrared again. Is that, is that kind of what we're talking about here? Yeah, so that's a good point. So some people are very persnickety of saying the light is only visible light, and then uh -huh. they want to say electromagnetic spectrum for anything else. I do not make that distinction. It's all electromagnetic spectrum. I call it all light. Okay. And if I'm talking about things that are in the visible spectrum, I will say visible light, but otherwise I will just say light. So... For all of our listeners, if you want to write us a letter, go ahead. Email us at crisscrossingsidegmail.com, all one word, all lowercase. And I'll make Chad read all those letters. But I will refer to just light, meaning any form of electromagnetic radiation. Yeah. Okay, so it's electromagnetic radiation of some specific frequency that kicks an electron up to a higher shell. And then when it falls back down, it re-emits. One of the things it can do is re-emit what that same photon well so oh. we're jumping ahead here so first let's just oh, talk sorry, about I'm sorry, I'm sorry. so there are two processes here one way to get rid of the energy is to emit the light through shooting out a photon okay this process is called spontaneous emission of light and i'm going to be a little bit picky about the words here just because the words will matter here in a little bit but the electrons are excited and they want to get rid of that energy and they will spit out a photon of light now, this is just a little packet of light that it's putting back out, but it's also going to go in some random direction. We can't control what direction it's being spit out. And the color of the light will actually depend on how much energy it needs to release. So for instance, if it were to spit out a red light, that has less energy than if it were to spit out a photon of blue. Or in your question with infrared light, that has even less energy than the red light does. So that's spontaneous emission of light. Now, in your question, you were also asking about absorbing light. And so that's the second process that can also happen. That one way that they can get the energy to jump out to an outer shell is through the absorption of light. There are other ways we could run an electric current through it, which is how like neon signs light up and so forth. But one way to energize them is through absorbing a photon that comes in. So this spontaneous emission of light, you talk about how electrons get excited. And so what are some things other than light, then the absorption of light, what are some other things that can do that exciting? Are we what passing an electrical current through it? Yeah, so you could pass an electrical current through it which is how like okay. neon signs, how they're made. Okay. There's just a tube of gas and they're passing electric current through that. That's how you get like the signs that say like eat at Joe's or whatever. Mm. And maybe I need to be more clear here as well. I'm from Kentucky. And so when I say a neon light, I mean any tube of gas that has electric current to make light like that. 
doesn't matter what the color is. I call them all neon signs. Okay. In reality, depending on what the gas is, you get a different color of light. So, And that's a property of that element. Yeah, and the specific colors that you get depend on that particular element. Yep. Okay. Because but you can you also get it. The term, is, the term is spontaneous. And so it makes me think of something that just happens sort of unprompted, sort of like radioactive decay is spontaneous emission of some sort of particle yeah unprompted by some some sort of incoming energy perhaps yeah it's but, it's like you give a little kid sugar and they're uh, super hyper and you you know at some point they're going to crash back down right but you don't know exactly when that's going to happen <laughs> but at some point they're going to take a nap and everything's going to be good uh-huh. but okay. you don't know exactly at what point that's going to take place yeah you're getting me where i live here <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it could also happen thermal energy and stuff like that. So the sun is producing light because of thermally, it's just so hot that that's where they're getting the energy to jump back down and and produce that light and so forth. Okay. So it's really any form of energy, they can absorb that energy and then re-emit that spontaneously. Okay. Now, it is interesting when we're thinking about specifically absorbing the light, though, it will absorb only that very specific color that it could emit you know so for instance like hydrogen emits mainly a red color but there's also a couple of blues that it can emit if i were to shine say yellow light at hydrogen it would completely ignore it because that's not a color that it can interact with you know if it can only emit a red and a blue those are the only two colors that it can absorb as well and so you know if i shine a a blue light at it it can absorb that and then re-emit a blue light and if i shine a red light it could absorb that and re-emit a red light but it can't do a yellow or a green or anything like that. Question, is it possible to, sticking with hydrogen, is it possible that you energize it with a red light and then it re-emits some combination of other wavelengths that are equal to that incoming energy that maybe are perceived as a different color? Yeah, that is possible. Okay. So it is possible for, and we will talk about this later on, it is possible to absorb, say, a blue color and then re-emit some, a green color maybe, and then the rest of it would be maybe emitted as infrared or maybe transferred through some thermal process or something like that. When we talked about building a better light bulb, that's called like fluorescence. So it is possible to do that. Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, but one more thing about absorption and then re-emission spontaneously is that if the atom absorbs this photon and then re-emits it, it's not going to re-emit in the same direction that the photon was originally going. It's going to spontaneously emit it in some random direction. So if we're thinking about just in two dimensions, it's got 360 degrees that it could spit it back out. And Mm -hmm. it's a random direction that it's going to do. Okay. So that's all important because it turns out there's a strapping young lad that I don't know if you've heard of this guy. His name was Albert Einstein. Albert who? Einstein. Oh, I've always... I think I've seen that name. I've always said it Einstein, but okay. Yeah, go ahead. He actually predicted that there was another process here, right? So we've got the two processes before we had absorption was that you're at a lower energy state and you absorb light to jump up to a higher energy state. And the second process was the spontaneous emission of light, which is that you're in an excited state and just randomly you jump back down to a lower energy state. Well, Einstein actually said, well, there's a third one here. What if you're already excited and you get hit by a photon? And he predicted that you'd have what's called stimulated emission of radiation, which is that that excited electron would be forced back down to its ground state or to a lower energy state. And then it would produce this photon and this photon would be in phase and going in exactly the same direction as the incoming photon was. Okay. So whereas spontaneous emission is randomly directed, this means that if we're already excited, then the photon coming in will pass through it. And then we'll have two photons going in the exact same direction coming out of the atom. 
so in a sort of like billiard balls moving across a pool table kind of way, that makes a lot of sense that there's just something about the momentum of moving left to right, continuing on that motion of left to right. It, that feels, I don't know, it makes a certain amount of more sense than the other situation where a photon that comes in moving left to right, and then it's absorbed and re-emitted going in a random direction. That feels weird for some reason that I... Well, so the the spontaneous part, the random direction, I think uh-huh. of it as the photon is absorbed by an electron. So it jumps out to uh-huh. another orbit, right? So uh-huh. it's orbiting around. So before it was orbiting around in this tight circle. Now it's orbiting uh-huh. farther out. And then at some point, it's going to spit out the photon. So maybe in this orbit that it's doing, maybe it's pointed the original direction and it would come out the same way. But maybe it's in a different spot in the orbit and it's just spitting out in a different direction. Uh, so maybe like that electron is it's sitting in like one of those little teacups at the fair and somebody throws a baseball and a person in the teacup catches it. And then by the time they get around to chucking it out again, they've sort of moved all over the place. Yeah. And so when they chuck it out, it's now not heading in the same direction that it came into and, and was captured in the first place. Right. Yeah. Is that kind of what's happening? Yeah. All right. Okay. That makes more sense. Whereas all with right. a stimulated emission, it would be like you had a ball in your hand already and I threw a second ball at you and that knocked that ball out of your hand. So they both continued on. Okay. So yeah, that worked out well. Okay. Yeah. That, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> But so I was very careful to give us the actual terminology. Sometimes I'm sloppy about this stuff, but because this third process is called the stimulated emission of radiation. Now, the word laser is actually an acronym. Uh So L-A-S-E-R all stand for different words. And in fact, Uh the S-E-R in laser is the stimulated emission of radiation. So So that's Los Angeles stimulated emission of radiation. Exactly. So back when it was there was a lot of more smog in L.A., that's how they came up. Yeah. (laughs) No, actually. So let's actually talk about what the LA, the LA stands for light amplification. And so we're going to have light amplification through the stimulated emission of radiation. All right. And so let's think about this. So I've thrown a baseball at your hand, knocked a second one out. So now I have two baseballs going forward, whereas before I only had one. And then if let's say your one of your daughters has another baseball and the baseball out of your hand knocks another baseball out of her hand, now we have more and more photons. They're all going in the same direction. And so we've we've made this amount of light brighter and brighter just by having this cascading effect, a domino effect of triggering more and more electrons to jump down to their lower states. So that's the amplification part, and it's being amplified by the light itself. Yeah. I see. Okay. So that seems like, I mean, why doesn't it just cascade forever? Is it because the elements that it's interacting with it is in sort of like a finite contained amount yeah it's only in a limited pocket of say gas or we'll talk later about different types of lasers and stuff but yeah the medium itself is is limited and so so that's how you can get amplification and and in fact every laser is a channel two mirrors one on each side (laughs) this thing One of the mirrors is about 99% reflective. So it lets a little bit of light out. But basically what we have is we've got this tube with mirrors on each side. And so light is passing back and forth, say left and right and left and right through this tube. And every time it passes, it's getting more and more baseballs added to the, the bin. 
that are all traveling in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And so this okay. is how you get the light amplification through the stimulated emission of a laser. I see. They just keep bouncing back and back and back and forth. And so then 1% of it, though, is being allowed to escape. Right. So that's amazing to think about is how much energy is actually in the tube yeah. when we're only getting 1% ever coming out of it at any given time. Huh. That's also why we have them all being parallel. All the light coming out of the laser is parallel because they're bouncing back and forth through this. So let's say that I accidentally started creating something that was not exactly parallel to the two mirrors. You know, if it started at the bottom of the, of the mirror, it's going to zigzag back and forth, but it'll eventually go up to the top and leave the medium. And so that's no more light being created and no more light being amplified anymore. So it's only the light that happens to be going exactly parallel to these two mirrors will be able to amplify back and forth and back and forth. And so then all the light that's coming out is also in that same direction. And so that's why lasers are always parallel light sources as well. I see. Okay. Now, let's talk about one little detail here. And so I'm going to say one more word, population inversion. All right. So it sounds like two words, but <laughs> <laughs> choose one of them. You can't have them both. Oh, well, then inversion. OK, because in order for me to get this cascading effect, right, I have to have excited electrons everywhere. And so I have to have enough of them excited at any given time in order for them to be hit and to have this whole amplification part. Here's the problem is that the excited state of most electrons is very short. It's typically on the order of like nanoseconds. Nano is 10 to the mm. minus nine seconds. So very, very short amount of time that they get excited and then they spit it back out. But the problem here is that if I were to shine a, a photon into a tube and if most of them are already in the lower energy state, they're most likely going to absorb that photon before the one that I care about. If I have one atom that's excited and most of its neighbors are in their ground state, most likely my photon is going to be caught by one of the ones in the ground state and I will lose okay. it, right? So that means I have to find some way to make sure that the majority of my electrons are in an excited state so that they can get the baseball knocked out of their hand. I see. Okay. Okay. But That's right. So I, I was having to remember Einstein's contention that if you were dealing with atoms with electrons that were already in an excited state, got yeah. it. All right. So the only way this works, they have to already be excited, okay. but they will only stay excited typically for about a nanosecond or so. So a very okay. short amount of time. And so typically if I had a neon sign and I want to excite the electrons, most of them are in a ground state and it's very hard to keep very many of them excited at any given time. I was thinking about this and I came up with a silly cartoon about it. Like imagine I was in a ball pit and I, uh -huh. I just one at a time I was trying to throw a ball up in the air and I wanted all the balls to be up in the air at the same time. That's going to be impossible because I throw this one up then I reach down and grab the another one and they're all down pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So what I need to do then is find some way to get them stuck for a bit. Maybe throw them up on a roof so that they have to roll down or I don't know what. Maybe you have your ball pit is perched atop one of those giant fans that people simulate skydiving. Oh, about. yeah. And it's like, and so now all the balls are sort of. So I have to throw them into this fan. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, okay. And so having a fan like that would create, let's call it a quasi-stable state okay. for the balls, that they'd get excited, they'd stay up in the air for a much longer amount of time. And then when I throw a baseball, then I could knock them down at the same time. Okay. And so it turns out it's possible to do that in some media, that you can create a quasi-stable state such that they'll stay up there for microseconds instead of nanoseconds. So like a thousand times longer than they normally would. And if you mm -hmm. can do that, then that's enough to cause a laser to, to actually work out. Okay. For instance, probably the most common type that I interact with is something called a Heaney laser. H-E-N-E. H-E-N-E. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. It just 
stands for it's a helium neon laser. So, and typically they're they're about 90% helium and about 10% neon. And it turns out that helium and neon have some energy states that are very close to each other. They're not exactly the same, but they're close enough that if a helium atom was excited and it happened to bump into a neon atom, it could excite an electron from the neon atom into an excited state. And this excited state is not one that it normally likes to do. And so if it gets excited up there, it's kind of stuck for a while. It's in a quasi-stable state and it will take microseconds for it to actually decay back down on its own. And so a Heaney laser is actually, what we're doing is we're exciting the helium and then it will transfer this energy to the neon. And then the neon will start lasing because we can stimulate the emission of the light. Okay. And so is the helium itself not maintained Maintaining the excited state for very long. It's only because of its interaction with the neon. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So a Heaney laser is producing a bunch of extra light, but yes, the helium is doing stuff, but we don't care. That's not amplified. Just we don't see that really coming out. And so most of the light is coming from the lased neon. Hmm. There are other ways we can do this. You don't have to use just gas lasers. There are lots of different types of media, but probably the most common nowadays are diode lasers. You've heard of an LED, yes, light emitting diode. And so a diode laser is just the same sort of a thing. Okay. But you're using semiconductors instead of some of these other mechanisms that we've talked about. Okay. And so in CDs and DVDs, in the laser pointers that you would play with your cat, barcode scanner at the grocery store, these are all being produced by diodes to make the, the wavelengths and things. And with the diode lasers, you can create things with very low energy, you don't have to use nearly as much energy. And so that's why these are so popular is that with just a AAA battery, you can sometimes power one of those, mm-hmm. right? So it's a lot easier to just travel around with it. Okay. Well, but so all of these still have the same properties to them, right? The light coming out is mostly parallel and it is okay. all coherent. Okay, cool. So that's what a laser does. Cool. Thanks, Mike. This episode was recorded on the beautiful campus of Linfield University. Rudy Ortega wrote our theme music. If you like this episode or others like it, you should subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll download the latest episode as soon as it becomes available. While there, leave a comment and a rating, and that'll help other people find our podcast. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, email us at crisscrossingsci.gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. Or hit us up on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.